With Refactor, we're trying to get people back at the center of tech. We strongly believe it makes us grow as a community to share our insights and reflect upon common challenges. Hi, nice to meet everyone for a new episode of Refactor Podcast. Uh, today's this episode is going to be dedicated to uh, AI, data science, and I have the pleasure to uh, have on the podcast Tobias Zingban. Uh, hi, Tobias. How are you? Hi, Pierre. I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine as well. And I have also, which is a very good surprise, and uh, I'm very glad to have them on the podcast as well. We have also Samuel Rochette and Giuseppe Guarino, though a French and an Italian. They are both senior data scientists, and they're with me to kind of uh, interview our guest and and make us and share their knowledge with us. Hi, Samuel. Hi, Giuseppe. How are you? Hi, Pierre. Nice to meet you. I'm fine. Thank yeah. you. Hi, Pierre. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. We know each other because Samuel and Giuseppe are, are Flint's super talented consultant. So it's really cool. Um, first of all, uh, first things first, um, this podcast is going to be dedicated to AI, data science, well, Tobias, how to tell them apart? Uh, can we kind of uh, use them indifferently? I mean, AI is data science, data science is AI. What's your two cents about that? So I think like from my experience, data science is the uh, kind of the broadest term you can use. And um, AI is a special application within that. So um, you can totally do data science without AI. You know, that's how I think about it. But every time you do AI, it's probably data science. Right? So that's how I would think about those terms. And um, yeah, that's how I would differentiate, um, you know, those things. And especially with regards to AI, I I kind of see it as a as a technology, right, as, as a tool to do, whereas data science for me is rather a process. So that's also one uh, different dimension, you know, where I would differentiate those two terms yeah cool and can you can you give us a, a bit about your background Tobias where you come from how you kind of uh, um, fell into data science and AI uh, when when all this uh, all this uh, started yeah yeah sure so um, yeah first of all I, I come from Germany as you can probably hear <laughs> and um, yeah originally I have a background in um, in, in business and in marketing so that's where I did my bachelor degree and then I uh, switched to IT and like did my IT management um, master and I wrote in Master, I wrote a master thesis about exploratory data analysis, and um, that's when I got into like the whole R coding thing. And after that, I landed my first job as a data scientist. So I uh, got into that thing through the uh, R route back then, and that was 2016. Um, yeah, like that. And yeah, since then I've been working on like different um, like business problems, especially with regard to to marketing and, and customer data. Um, and then finally in 2020, I've um, co-founded my own company, Rapid AI, where we focus on um, bringing AI and machine learning into into more businesses, especially small and medium-sized companies. So I'm um, yeah, really excited about that. And um, yeah, and then this year I released my first book, which is called AI Powered Business Intelligence. So yeah, that's that's my story. That's how I ended up being here. <laughs> Yeah, you're an O'Reilly um, writer, and you've uh, and you've recently um, 
uh, written a, a book about uh, AI and business, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially about business intelligence, uh, because one experience I had was, you know, there's not only this term or this this concept of like AI and data science, but also like BA, uh, BI and data science, you know, so how do they relate? And uh, what I found out is that, uh, like, especially in larger companies, you have like different teams working on like, those different concepts and terms right but they're actually trying to solve the same problems or at least similar problems so i think it's worth bringing them closer together and um, that's one of this uh, one of the main intentions of the book Samuel and, and Giuseppe, um, uh, asking to you guys because uh, i have i have the the, the chance to have uh, three data scientists on the cast which is uh, kind of great um What's your background, Samuel and Giuseppe? Did you uh, like Tobias? You you came from BI and stuff like that, or or, or did you have another track, Samuel? Uh, yeah, no. On my side, I was first uh, studying uh, really the theoretical part of uh, data science, so applied mathematics, uh, probabilities, and statistics, and then I went went to computer science, uh, so. The coding parts make me into the ethics. And yeah, then uh, I continue uh, in a consulting company. So working for different uh, industry, big industries, uh, company, um, doing both uh, implementation of the application part, like uh, front end, back end. And yeah, managing the the model so little by little and I went pay, to I think modeling totally and then uh, ML ops to and Samuel make well. things into you, production. You, you kind and, of uh, fell yeah, into AI growth. and data science yeah. from another part of uh, the science. Tell us more. Yeah, basically, um, I was doing physics. I did my bachelor's and my master's in physics in quantum in quantum physics and materials. And I was, I was doing my PhD in physics at the University of Bristol. And then as a side project, I was helping with some research to discover new materials using machine learning. And that's how I got into AI. And after a bit into my PhD, I was there and I was realizing um, I don't want to be in the lab all day. I enjoy coding a lot more. So I just quit my that and I joined a startup that was doing AI in healthcare. And that basically got me into the whole world. And Samuel and, and, and Giuseppe, what would what would be the the, the first uh, the first question you would ask uh, Tobias about uh, data science, AI, business? Uh, his two cents, his um, his point of view about um, it's popping everywhere: new technologies, new algorithms, new way of thinking out of the box. It seems like it's the the whole industry is sparkling is bubbling so what would be your first question samuel or giuseppe whatever to tobias i can start uh so as you said it's kind of everywhere and nowhere at the same time so i, I would first ask uh, tobias uh well what's ai in a real world application and yeah to dive in do you have some specific uh, example of a use case you worked with or we use on a daily basis. Yeah, sure. So I think like the most fascinating thing that, that I see is I, I find it really hard to identify a kind of like a typical use case, uh, but that's 
probably is somehow also related to how our like um, company is set up because we offer access to like AI services in, in different uh, different verticals um, but uh, what I see de definitely is some kind of focus around the area of computer vision especially with regards to extracting information from from documents um, or images so um, yeah one of our most popular use cases like uh, counting stuff from from images you know uh, that could be anything literally um, so so that's a very popular one um, but also extracting information from yeah from from, from documents so parsing documents and and everything which is related to that and uh, what I see is that um, when I look at the use cases behind that is that companies are trying to automate things right it's not so much about like you know getting the like, you know, the next super huge invention of like, doing whatever, but it's rather having an existing process and trying to automate this process or streamline this this process. Sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes people are trying to, you know, come up with completely new use cases or completely new ideas and, you know, trying to use AI for that. But from what I have seen, it's more related to, to existing use cases, to existing processes right which are now try to you know just just being automated with the help of the ai or maybe not fully automated but at least you know kind of um kind of yeah i, I don't really like that term but kind of like augmented with with human work so have to have a combination between like ai and um and, and humans still is in the loop but, but that that's what i see currently i have a question to follow up on that um so how difficult do you think is it, it is to actually come up with something new nowadays Obviously, like the new stuff tends to come from research, but if you're actually working and you're helping a business to um, to develop uh, applications to try and solve their problems, how many times will they actually have to, or you will have to develop for them something new? And how often will you just take something that's been tested, done and redone, and just you know fine tune it through their use case? Yeah, honestly, I, I try to avoid building something new as far as I can, <laughs> because like, honestly, if you see those research um, models or research cases that, that sound really, really interesting and exciting, it typically, you know, it takes a lot of work to put them into production still. Um, we are working, for example, on one um, large text summary model, you know, in order to, um, you know, try to like summarize large chunks of text. And the model was actually pretty good. But the main issue was that um, the model was so big and the costs for running that model were so high that in the end, there, there, there wouldn't be a viable use case or business case for, for that in, in this regard. So I always kind of like, you know, try to push people, you know, trying out to utilize what's there, maybe used to fine tune you know, something for, for, for the use case. And then, um, yeah, blending that maybe with many work right um, because building a model that really fits your own use case like very very well uh, that's really really hard but you know getting to a point where it's just good enough that you know it helps you and it becomes beneficial right that's much easier um, and if you if you start with that mindset um, I think it's much easier to you know um, you know get on the <laughs> get get up to speed and and, and get started with those uh, technologies yeah and um but do you think that that's not maybe changing a bit the role of a data scientist, where in the early days the data science, data science was more about you know get the data we have, try and analyze it, let's extract some insights, and now it's really like we we kind of know the the building blocks that are available to us that are reasonable to use. So I think the role of a of a data scientist or the AI practitioner in general. Is changing. What do you think about that? Yeah, I completely agree on that. Um, I don't know what your experience is, so will you love to hear that as well? Um, but for, from my perspective, it's like we we started 
I don't know, like, you know, five years ago with the term of data science, you know, and having the idea that those, that, that these people build models, right? New fancy models that do something. But right now I think it's, you know, you, you need data scientists also for, for using AI services and for consuming AI services, right? I mean, it sounds very trivial to do that, right? I mean, just call an API and you just detect stuff on that image. But like there are so many things going on with that. For example, uh, you need to be able to pre-process the images in the way that, you know, the AI service can really handle them well. Or you need to be like collect data for certain um, for certain objects that you want to be tracked, but they're currently not identified. And, and you, de- you need to know how many of these things you need to collect and how to collect them and how to label them and, you know, go through that whole process, which in my opinion is also like part of the whole data science cycle, right? So, and, and you need people for, for that. And um, I think this is like, this is, this is really changing. Um, so it's not anymore about like being able to build something from scratch, right? Which, by the way, most courses are still teaching, right? Like if you do a data science course nowadays, they, they teach you like, um, you know, building stuff from scratch. Actually, I'm, I'm just developing, you know, another course. And it's also like, you know, one of the requirements is to build something from scratch, right? I can completely understand that. But I think it's kind of like um, different to what, what, it's, uh, what is expected nowadays, which is also like requiring, requiring you to work with what, what's there, right? And improve on that. Um, so, yeah, but I, was, I would also like, uh, love to hear your thoughts on that really um so which one of you is going to 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 kind of take this uh, on the fly but uh, yeah I, I totally agree tobias and like no project ai or data science project is is starting from scratch but maybe samuel you you've been able to work recently on a on a project that you've been working from scratch or maybe you just want to give your two cents about uh uh, the, the the question uh, Giuseppe asked about uh, the, the 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 new data scientist uh, kind of attribution and scope kind of. I'll take the the from scratch question first. Uh, so yeah, I started several applications from scratch. Uh, it kind of looks like the old one application, and it's not specifically written on this that. Uh, it's AI based. Uh, so yeah, the, the question for, for us and for you today is how do we engage user using it? Since uh, we know that uh, the inference of the model can be wrong. So how do we keep the user uh, using our application with, uh, with that in mind? So should we, for, for example, should we uh, put some color based on the confidence on the model? Should we allow the user to interact with the prediction? So, yeah, do, do you have any idea of what, what's the best uh, things to do? Uh, I mean, for, for sure, it depends on the, on the application. If I understood well, what you say, Samuel, is like, it's uh, all AI projects are kind of uh, ongoing projects that need the user input and feedback. And how how can you tell user that uh, you're not for sure uh, at 99% of uh, uh, your results and the model and the quality of the model, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. That's it. Yeah, exactly. In a lot of use cases, the end users need the uh, 100%. Uh, accuracy in the in the answer of, of the prediction so he 
or she will not use it if there is not this hundred uh, percent uh, accuracy that is reached. So how do we get the users to use our application that is not uh, ready and that can be six or seven years? I would always try to like keep users involved in in, in the in the in the processes and, and try to make them um like make make these processes easier for them so so just ex one example for example that i um experienced in the in the sector of um, insurance uh b2b insurances uh where the task basically is right if they're like let's say you're a big um a big insurance group and you want to um you know run give, give an insurance for like you know I don't know, a container harbor or something, something huge, right? You know, where you have large volumes and the idea and the question is now, how do you, how do you, how do you formulate a contract and especially the, um, the prices for, for this, for this contract? Um, one idea could be like traditionally, right, to, to just crawl all the contracts that you have, right? And like train an AI model and just suggest like the best, like, you know, premium for, for this contract, for example. But unfortunately, it doesn't work really well in B2B cases because you don't have that many examples, right? So you can't really train that, uh, that complex model. And, that's exactly what's happening users are not trusting the recommendations because they say hey like how can i trust the suggestions right and and they are just people just trained for that like you know getting the best prices for those um, for those contracts and one step below that you know like that, that would be the end state of implementing ai right ai suggests the prices for that but one step below and, and that's one thing that i've seen you know working is that you use an ai services uh, an ai services to um to fetch contracts historic contracts that are very, very similar to the one that is currently, you know, trying to be insured. And you just give those contracts to the people doing these, um, you know, doing the work. And previously, those people would spend like, you know, months just gathering similar contracts of those um, harbors, for example, right, to have kind of like a reference um, contract. And now, you know, this process is just streamlined and takes, like, you know, just seconds to do that. And now they can focus on actually comparing things and seeing what's going on there. And I think if we reach that kind of like seamless AI integration where we don't really need to take decisions away from people, but rather make it easier for them to make better decisions, I think this is the direction we need to go at the first place. And once you have experience with that then you can try and say hey like i found five contracts maybe this is the contract like maybe this is the price for the uh, premium that you have to charge and you know but but these are like you know further iterations and going to these like going going for these like last five percent iterations or so i mean that takes like years in some cases and sometimes it's not even possible to do that right um but yeah that's how i would always try to like think about okay what's the what's the level below that right well what can we do below that in order to make your life easier like your life as a customer as a business person whatever um and 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 try to to iterate from from that on like kind of split the problem into into uh, uh, a, a minimum uh, viable product kind of that uh, gives satisfaction and, and then iterate to do these last miles that are very tricky. Samuel, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we are identifying something there. Like, as you said, that there is, for example, 80% of time to to be saved by doing some things that can be automated, but that can't be automated by a rule-based model. You need AI or data science here because, for example, the input data are unstructured or for several reasons, it's not always the same. So you need some 
statistical based model and you will gain a lot of time and a lot of time to think and yeah i've seen that in a lot of projects so the main goal is to save time for the end users it can be like really uh, high skilled people like engineers or doctors and then they can take this uh, save time to to work on more important things where they uh, their value are bigger yeah another uh, very similar uh, use case i've seen it because um uh, one of my a close friend of mine actually works in a in an international law firm and this is what we do so when they have a case they build they have a software they have an AI software that will um, scan various databases and they will give a document similarity on other proceedings that were similar. So this is very good for especially um, American and British uh, law cases because they are very set on precedent. So it's about trying to find the the most relative precedent. Um, yeah, and it works. It works really well. And before law firms would have like would need to hire twenty interns to do this research. And it's about it's it's a matter of time and ultimately a matter of money. Is it cheaper to hire twenty interns, or is it cheaper to just uh, get an AI, big, train a big AI model, or pay someone to do it for you, and get all of that stuff? Yeah, maybe to jump into this discussion because I think you know what you're describing. That's exactly the the challenge right now, especially if you look at like leadership um, positions within companies. There are hardly any people who can really do this judgment, right? Is it is it easier to hire a bunch of interns or is it easier to get an AI service for that? And sometimes you know we expect data scientists to answer those questions, but that's not the like that's not the core <laughs> the core uh, uh, task of what data scientists do, right? That's actually something that that you know leadership in in companies it's CTO. yeah it's, it's CTO. they should know that CTO's, yeah uh, cto's responsibility to kind of decide whether or not uh you can uh, and it it, it makes me think about like we're saving saving time for uh companies industries on the large sometimes m massive scales right Uh, but uh, are AI going to take all our jobs? Definitely for software engineering, I think. I think uh, that's already happening. That's uh, so you're we you're, you're we are killing everyone at this table, right? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe, you know, we can record a podcast, you know, just with our bunch of ideas and, you know, it will be AI-generated images and talking heads talking fact, to each other. In yeah. fact, this, this podcast is yeah. generated by an AI. Hey, you spoiled the end, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's a Turing test. Yeah, it's, it's a, a Turing, Turing test. test. No, but, um, um, you know, we're thinking about, like, radiologists and doctors in the health healthcare um, system, um, We know that um, image recognitions and similarities and that AI and trained models are like far way better than radiologists and specialists to, to find tumors on radios and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like my, my take on that generally is that um, I think AI will not replace jobs, but it will... Um, 
increase competition for jobs, right? So there will be radiologists who know how to use AI and there will be radiologists who don't know how to use AI. And if you, and you want to be a radiologist who knows how to use AI, right? Because you can make like probably better decisions and if not better, probably faster decisions, right? Because like a lot of work will be uh, just, just supported by, by AI. Um, so I think, you know, and then we, we can see that in a lot of areas, right? So um, AI enabled software engineers versus not an AI, AI, AI enabled software for engineers, photographers, whatever, right? So I think this stretches across so many different verticals. Um, on the other hand, I, I really think it's hard to make a prediction like for, for, for the next coming years, right? Because like there are some times when we really see breakthroughs, right? Especially in terms of like large language models, for example, or like also what we have seen uh, with, you know, technologies like Dolly or Stable Diffusion, like nobody really had kind of like had that on the radar and thought that you know these things could work so well so uh, i mean everyone's talking about kind of exp exponential um, development in in ai research and honestly we're still waiting for that a bit right so there has been really um, there have been really breakthroughs um but uh, we are still far away from kind of like you know singularity or whatever um but i mean who knows right it's i i, I feel it's very very hard to predict the future um so Like in, in my opinion, the only thing you can do right now is just get like get hands on with these technologies if they are related to you somehow, right? And see how how you can benefit from them, um, and and if they are uh, worth exploring for you, right? And, and just keep an eye on that because development can really really be fast. So <laughs> I think we have seen that. On, on this topic, like um, I think I found that something quite hard, especially um, working in consulting. Uh, both as an independent consultant and as part of a bigger team in a company. What I found is that there's a, such a plethora of tools, there's a, so many different environments, and sometimes it's it's hard to keep up with everything. It's hard to keep up with all the different APIs that are developed. And if you know, if like you've worked on some kind of technology a year ago, and I come back to it after a year because I've been working on another mission, another project. I find, you know, maybe, you know, they've released a new major version and it's like, it's very, very different. Or they'll be, they'll have re released another library that handles all of that. So like, your old code doesn't really work. So you have to just change the way you think. And I think, how do you tackle that? And how, and when will it kind of start to contract and people, there will be less libraries and the final people will condense into like single Good solutions. Luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, especially in tech, we are obsessed about new things, right? New shiny things that are coming out. So, I honestly, I also find it quite hard to to keep up. Um, like one proxy that I have seen kind of works is if you see that a lot of companies are, you know, building products out of these, you know, new things, whatever that is, you know, that an indicator of, you know, that there, there might be something going on, right? Uh, like for example, with um. um let's take, um, you know, writing assistance, right, uh, built on GPT-3. So I, I was not the first one, you know, trying to, you know, get beta access to GPT-3 and trying it out. But like right now, we can see probably like a dozen like vendors, you know, trying to do the same thing with like AI-assisted writing. And they, they, they seem to be successful with what they do in terms of like a business, right? So uh, like not, not a lot of them are really, you know, uh, funded with venture capital, but they are kind of like, you know, living on their on their on the from their revenue so it seems like you know people are willing to pay for that uh, me included so um i think you know if you once you see that those 
services or techniques or technologies or frameworks are being like productized into things that people are actually willing to pay for, I think that's a very strong signal to, to keep an eye on that, right? Uh, so I, if I was working in the stock photo industry, I would definitely keep an eye on these uh, image generation techniques, right? Because people are already productizing that and selling it. And um, I think there's a huge difference between like, you know, technology that someone is able, uh, someone is ready to pay for and technology that is just out there and people are just using it because it's like interesting, right? Uh, like we see those hype cycles come and go, but um, now and then, like you know, every, every now and then, there are really things that people are willing to pay for, and, and if you if you identify them, I think, right, uh, that's a good it's a good proxy to keep an eye on them. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I wanted to add that one should not confuse the the all these things that we see in the hype of uh, AI and uh, the work that is done in the big existing company because there is not only a startup and new breakthrough things there are also uh, existing companies that try to use data science to enhance their existing application and yeah it's more mature than five years ago but uh, it's not the revolution yet like when we work in the industry for example we see that uh, it's still complicated to get the the power to train model to get the data everything's not really clean so yeah what, what what's your opinion on that uh, Tobias or Giuseppe yeah I think it really starts with the uh, like with the strategy a, a company has and um couple of years ago companies have started you know like building an AI strategy or data strategy or whatsoever and I think you should really you know align this this strategy to your to to at one hand to, to the business that, that you currently have and also to potential business areas that you know you want to develop in the future engine and then you have to kind of map you know what like what are AI um, uh, AI fields or AI areas where you have a very large like you know competitive advantage either in um, skills or in, in data you know it might be that your business you know and you just you have the data right because it's not publicly available right and just you have the data right and maybe you have, you identify a use case which is also very important for your business and then it's very good kind of like well, it's, it's a it's a it's a reasonable bet you know to build your own models or train your own models um but if you don't have that right if you don't have like a lot of resources if you don't have a lot of trained people on that if you don't have like your your own data right but and, and you still identify like use cases that are could be worth for you or could be valuable for you i think then it's better you know to just see what's out there on the market and just try to implement that and you know in, in the end i think it's a make or buy decision and you have to and that's the uh, that's the thing i think you have to make that a conscious decision right what are you buying and what are you making uh, because if you decide for the make route right you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money on that right it's not like you know we build an ai service in three months and then we put that into production that's not how it works um so and yeah i, th I think that's you know how it needs to be aligned with the overall uh, strategic roadmap of, of the company uh because if, if you don't know where your company is going and what you expect your company to be, right, then it's very hard to come up with a strategy for AI use cases on, uh, from, from that, right? That needs to play together. I want to take an analogy, uh, bouncing back on what Samuel uh, and you, Tobias, said. Uh, it's like if we were in the 1980s and we are all using pagers, you know, and, and we are asking ourselves, are oh, this new cell phone GSM, GSM going to work? Uh, uh, is it going to be the future and whatever? 
And it's just, just like that on the trends of adoption of new technologies. Uh, AI is, uh, you have fancy stuff that are for early adopters, uh, like stable diffusion and GPT-3 and stuff like that, which are uh, obviously um, on certain case very disruptive and very um, um, uh, impressive and very kind of wow effect. And, you, and then you have all what the normal standard industries are working on, that is automation, cleaning data, automotive uh, stuff, and just having some clues about what happened in my business with some data and the data I'm, I'm sleeping on, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And maybe to, to add on that, um, because you mentioned the the point of like you know um, missing missing data quality in, in organizations or, or issues with data um, like what I always get is the impression that people think hey I need to get my data right right and only then I can you know, tap into AI and I mean this is correct if you're looking into the like I want to make my own AI services thing right that's completely fine right you need you have the basis right but in my opinion like you can even use AI services to help you like you know I don't know, match duplicate records, for example, right? So these are like services which are there to help you in order to, um, you know, to, to do things in, in the end. And um, so I think if you should really kind of differentiate between like making AI services or using AI services, because if you use AI services, right, you might need possibly a different data quality level than you might need in order to like build your own AI service. Um, so yeah, that that's one thing I, I, I would add on that. Um, I would like to hear your perspective on that because I always hear like, you know, before you start AI with AI, you need to get the basics right. And like, I mean, that's totally fine, right? If you want to make your own AI system. But I think like, you know, most companies actually don't want to make their own AI system. They want to use AI services. And um, like using AI services for me also includes like, you know, like enabling a writing assistant for all your marketing people, right? So they can write, write easier sales copy for their marketing pages, right? You don't need to fix your data for that, right? They can just start using that, yeah? And from now, from from day to day to tomorrow you have an AI use case in your company right it can be as easy as that and I mean that might be a trivial example but especially if you look at um, like processes in, in the B2B space I think there's so many examples where you know you can try to like uh, use technology to, to in improve existing processes yeah I, I do agree but um, yeah I, I was wondering here we, we stick with uh, AI based on data is it always the case, like, for example, with uh, reinforcement learning or things like this? So we, we don't see it a lot uh, outside of the video game uh, world. Uh, wh why is that? Because it seems kind of powerful. So is it uh, only, uh, does it only work with the constraint uh, environment or why don't we see such things uh, out there in the in the wild, like in real world application, other than video games. You mean reinforcement learning, or what? What do you think? Yeah, reinforcement learning. Yeah, on... or is there uh, any application that I, I don't know about? Uh, 
that, oh, that oh, you can oh, use. Yeah, honestly, I don't really see that many reinforcement learning use cases either. Uh, I think, like, my opinion is, like, you know, for, for my experience working with these systems is that uh, one big hurdle is you need a lot of data for them, like, really a lot of data, right, uh, in terms of, like, you know, a lot of iterations constantly coming in, right? So you need to have that stream of data coming in. If you, if you just collect data once a year, right, reinforcement learning won't do for you. Um, and the second one is you need to be um, you need to be able to um, make errors in in a production scenario, right? Let's say you 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 want to try you know to train a reinforcement learning algorithm on, on personalization, which is like you know probably the lowest risk category which you can imagine, right? But let's say that, right? If if you if you put reinforcement learning on that system, you have to acknowledge there will be wrong predictions because like one inherent. Um, property of reinforcement learning is that you have the um, training and explore phase, right? So reinforcement learning always needs space to explore, right? To make wrong decisions or not optimize decisions and then, you know, get the feedback on that. And uh, I think if you consider both constraints, like, you know, you need a lot of data and you need to be, you need to be um, able to make uh, errors kind of like in public or in production, let's say that, like in production. Um, I think that these are like, you know, two constraints that, that, you know, businesses don't often really like, you know, where they want to like to uh, control a lot of things and, you know, see what's, uh, what, what's happening uh, beforehand and not afterwards. So, and also it's very complex. <laughs> I think Giuseppe has... Um Something to say about uh, reinforcement uh, algorithms and stuff like that. First of all, uh, could you could you just like explain explain me as if I have, I am five. I know I am forty six, but uh, explain me uh, as if I am five. Uh, what reinforcement algorithms are? Oh, you want me to explain? All right, um, l let me give a crack. Um, so yeah, basically, reinforcement learning is when you set up some kind of simulation or real environment where you have a program that needs to make a decision and you're either going to reward the program for making a good decision or punish it for making a wrong decision. Um, personally, it's very hard to see it in production. Um, it's not very, it's a very, very expensive, it's, it, can, it can do incredibly cool things as we've seen with video games with, you know, uh, for getting like body dynamics and characters to walk in video games and stumble upon the, you know, to fall down and that kind of stuff. That works really well, but um, for example, it's not very stable and it takes so much uh, energy, time, and hence money to to develop. So, um, I was talking to someone recently who works for a startup that does lasers, and what they use, for example, they use it, and the reason they use it for is when their laser loses alignment. So they then they have just like something just kind of aligns the lasers and it measures the intensity and then it says okay did i step so it's it, and it can and that works but it's a very very specific calibration situation. right yeah calibration situation and it's a very very specific use case um i think it's more that's more of a market for a mainstream uh, data science i have not seen it a lot yeah, you really need a big scale for those applications also, like a big scale in terms of a lot of data. Like if you have sensor data, right, this this could probably work. But um, like honestly, from what I've seen, like there aren't really that many applications where you really have so much like data coming in, right? I mean, we always think about like Facebook and Google and whatnot, right? You know, handling tons of like petabytes of data but if you go to like the average company out there right who have their sql databases you know you don't have that yeah like these <laughs> are diff different problems right and um i think 
Yeah, that's also one of the core problems of data science. You know, it has been kind of like hyped, you know, from those like big tech companies, right? I mean, we hire data scientists, the sexiest job of the 21st century and all that, uh, you know, and, and, and then suddenly, you know, all those like bread and butter companies thought, hey, we, we need to follow that, right? Because we also want to be data driven, um, which is like in, in its essence, you know, it's true. But I think the the tools that you need, you know, at the bread and butter company is different to what like Google or Facebook needs, right? Um, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. You, you you mentioned something very interesting, uh, Tobias. Uh, we have seen a lots of a lots of training curriculum uh, advertising become a data scientist within two years and uh, and AI everything and uh, uh, boot camps like uh, to become a data scientist and an AI engineer and whatever in within two years and what's your opinion about this kind of curriculum I mean I mean how how could we uh, uh, in my opinion you need to have strong basis in math mathematics or physics or very scientific uh, basis uh, to be able to be a data scientist but we have new jobs that are coming out like mlops for instance which probably doesn't need to be that kind of very good in math or physics or etc etc what, what are you two cents about all that because i'm lost to tell you <laughs> Honestly, I'm a very pragmatic person in that regard. I think like if there is a demand on a job market for these like, you know, positions and um, if there are like boot camps bringing you to that stage where you're ready to, you know, get this job. I mean, it makes sense. It's do you think, do you really think there are positions asking for uh, people coming with a background with uh, reconversion, professional uh, changement and, and for instance, uh, someone who were was um, like software developer or front-end developer and say oh uh, within the next two years i'm going to be a data scientist do you think do you think this is feasible i don't know if it's feasible but just like looking at the market it must work somehow right i don't know like if you look at how many boot camps exist and you know most of them like also seem to be kind of like successful right and in the end, you know, it seems like these people have, um, you know, some uh, get get some benefit out of that. I don't know if the outcome is always to get hired, you know, to become hired as a data scientist, right? Um, that might not be the case. But I think, like, you know, a lot of those skills that you learn on those boot camps can actually be uh, beneficial uh, for that. And I have to put a small disclaimer here because I'm also mentoring for one of those boot camps. So. <laughs> Um, but but I think really I think really it is um, you know it, it can help to you know to to get people like ahead in, in their career whatever that is um, but I completely agree with you like just like taking a boot camp right and then you know having a graduate certification of you know a data scientist you know they won't make you data scientist but in the end if you help if it helps you landing a job right I mean why why not take it um, so so that's how I think about it but in the end I think like these are skills that you can only um, build on the job like if you're working in these things and yeah, thanks, Tobias. What, what's your opinion, Giuseppe? I, I, I saw you nodded, uh, and Samuel as well. Um, yeah, I, I want to mitigate what, what I said. Uh, but I, um, you're right, because uh, these bootcamps exist, so they should exist for a reason. Uh, but uh, maybe not to become data scientists, but maybe to become a more acculturate and more data scientist savvy person. And software engineer, maybe, you know. 
Yeah, I don't know that there has been a lot of data scientists like five or six years ago doing like a Kaggle competition, extra or even in the mission that was proposed by the company. It was like, can you tell me what what I can do with those data, extra? But now it it has shifted a lot. Uh, companies when they call you, they they, re- they know what they want to do. They have identified where is the value to get, and they want you to deploy an application with existing model most of the time. So yeah, the the work changed a lot. Then for the uh, background mathematics, physics, I I don't know what's the what the most important. Just uh, for me, it's uh, what do you like to do? What do you like to code? Do you like to to play with? Uh, the cloud or yeah depends on the, on the people i guess also on the on the skills obviously but the skills come with the with what you like what you want to learn i absolutely agree i think um, um also maybe this book comes yeah as, uh, as samuel said it brings you to being a, a data scientist in the sense that you understand what's going on behind the base of the science model you're not gonna create a new language model if you're just going to work for your average company that needs a data scientist. Um, so you're not going to be doing the cutting edge research, but you're going to be able to understand a good deal of it and it's going to be important when you put it into production and it's going to be important that you know what assumptions you have, uh, what assumptions you have when you're productionizing, industrializing a model and all of this kind of stuff. So I think that's quite good. And as Samuel said, the job is changing with that and there's different profiles associated to it. So overall, it can be useful. Yeah, so they said the kind of the, the, that the mental uh, image that uh, op- the public opinion has about what is a data scientist, in fact, that is just changing as we're talking right now because uh, you have MLOps, you have all these clouds uh, based uh, production uh, CICD and all these uh, all these um, uh, integration tools and uh, production tools etc etc that are involving in a sense some kind of data science or uh, that would need people to uh, understand a bit what is behind the scene what uh, yeah yeah, th- there is a big merge also, I think, between uh, the between a classic uh, software uh, software product with all the team, the tools that are used, GitHub, the versioning things, etc. And now it's all merged into this. Yeah, I I don't know how to to name it, and there is a lot of name uh, out there to to describe it, and even the people working in the IT, they are confused. Sometimes I don't know what to say because I've touched things related to database, to code, to to, to different part of a project. So you don't really know where you are. And yeah, it can be confusing. But yeah, it did not change that much from the inside, I guess. Again, I was not here like in the 90s to see uh, how code environment was so it can't really really tell but yeah that's my opinion 
Tobias, and uh, maybe uh, we, we're, we're uh, approaching 45 minutes of recording, and uh, I, I, I want to keep it short as well. Um, I will ask um, every one of you to kind of uh, just um, tell me what what has made what has recently made you on you a kind of wow effect, and what are you excited about, like just right now, like what 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 you say. Yeah, that is that is breakthrough. That is really cool. That is that is the way I'm going through. Uh, maybe in the next couple of months, couple of the couple of weeks. Tobias first, maybe. Yeah. So what what I uh, what makes me really excited is that I think a lot of companies have been through their first data science hype cycle by now. So they have tried it yet. And now that they're at the stage where they actually want to do something real with data, right? So they are beyond the stage of, hey, we want to try ML, you know, they figured out, okay, it doesn't work for whatever reason, but now we have an idea forward of what to do. And maybe if it's just like, you know, training our leadership, you know, to become more data literate or whatever. But I think, you know, a lot of companies have passed their first phase, right? This now. And I think this is such a great opportunity to, to be in, you know, both for, um, you know, building products, but also for educating, you know, people and maybe even non-technical people on, on these topics and um, that's something that, that really excites me right now. I can follow up on that. Um, what, what I found exciting, um, what I found exciting recently, maybe a bit more of a personal note on this. Um, personally, I, I really like to draw, so I've been really excited by about the AI art developments and I can't wait to try it out. I've got plans uh, as soon as I find some time, probably in the weekend, to try and use a bit of um, of stable diffusion to enhance my art. So basically, so now now you can basically use uh, stable diffusion with given parameters just on Colab. It will fit on your Colab uh, to, to perform just an inference. Um, it's going to work on very small images, but this is something I was I was very keen to try. Um, and I think that's really exciting because I, I love to draw. I've always drawn. I've always had pen to paper, even in class, and my teachers would get mad at me. Um, and basically, I would like to take all of the doodles I do during the day and just kind of let's see what like an AI will make out of it if I give it like a weird text input. I think that is super exciting and super fun. I didn't know that you were, you were an artist. You you hide it from me. You hide it from me. I know that now. And Samuel, what, uh, yes, table diffusion is like kind of incredible. You can you can just input weird. I think that the website. Uh, which is I, I don't remember the, the exact URL. Which is uh, people are trying to get the the weirdest, really the weirdest uh, pictures from the weirdest input into the AI uh, stable diffusion uh, algorithms, and it gives a weird, the weird stuff. In fact, so yeah, I think it's uh, Samuel. What, what, what's your what what makes you excited um, about AI and data science right now? Oh, well, it's really specific. Uh, I, I read some uh, article on the Uber blog about uh, uncertainty and how to how to estimate the uncertainty in our network for time series predictions. And yeah, it was quite uh, astonishing how they managed to, like, by giving a lot of different inputs, making dropouts, and then seeing how the distribution of the embeddings moved they managed to to do really nice uh, modeling on the on the uncertainty of the model so yeah that that was 
that was my greatest read from uh, from for the last year. Like you can say, yeah, I, I'm ninety percent sure the prediction will be within this range, with a small range. Uh, that is awesome. I can do that with. Uh, I, I can do something with uh, such a such a product. You know. Yeah, it's which uh, which uh, it's 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 uh, the question you asked first at the beginning of the podcast. In fact, is yeah. assessing and being certain of the uncertainty, right? It's difficult. Yeah, of course. Obviously, I, I was biased because that's a, a topic uh, yeah. I keep watching. <laughs> I want to thank you, all of you. I want to thank Tobias uh, for having been with us on this podcast. It was really interesting. Uh, I haven't seen this hour uh, uh, just passing through, uh, talking with you guys. Uh, we could we could stay longer and longer and longer. And uh, but thank you very much, Tobias, and uh, for the recall. You are also an author, and you have written a book about AI and business case. O'Reilly available. And um, thank you, Samuel, for your participation. And thank you, Giuseppe. Thank you very much to all of you. I hope you enjoyed this time with us. Thank you so much, Pierre. Thank Thanks, you, Pierre. guys. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks a lot, guys.